A German Zeppelin is making a transatlantic trip from Frankfurt to New Jersey when tragedy strikes. What caused this airship to explode into a fireball upon landing? Welcome back to the Heartlandings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Miranda. I'm Christy. And, and today, today, we have James and Kaylin. Yes. They're back. They're back. Back again. again. Guess who's back? Back. back. Tell a friend, friend. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> okay. So this episode, nothing is normal. No. No. Not one thing. I'm sure if you've read the title, you will kind of understand why immediately if you know anything about this, because... It is unique. It is, yes. So. So. You should do all the normal stuff. Yes. Because guess what? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Oh, it this is comes the new out year. on the second, so. Yeah, it's the new year now. All right, people. Uh, panic. Panic. Newsletter should have gone out yesterday. Did it actually? I don't know. It'll be a fun game of did I get this done in time? Because we're recording this in advance. We don't know yet. You're on break. It's not, so... even, it's not even Christmas yet. Yes. And you assume that I have enough time still to do all these things. I don't think time is the issue so much as uh, willpower. Yeah. That all too. of the above. It's a lot. Anyway, that should be on the website. Allegedly. If it's not on the website, then you're for sure. No, I forgot. And it'll yeah. get sent out soon. And that's all right. And then check out the merch page. I'm updating our merch page, hopefully, because uh, there's some stuff that you yeah. actually can't get anymore. Yes. And there's new stuff. Yes. So I will Keep an eye on add it. things and subtract things when necessary. If you want a New Year's gift for yourself. I highly be. recommend the hoodie dress. Yeah, it is pretty cool, actually. It's I've, very comfy. I've, I've been on that streak this week. I've worn it more than once this week because I'm trash. I have like two or three that are like that, and I just interchange them around. Mm-hmm. It's pretty great. Also, the the mug is sitting on my desk currently. The travel mug. The travel. The travel mug. Yes. I think that's about it, right? Yeah. There's nothing else to really. I don't have any new patrons right or anything. Now. No, it's only been a few days since we recorded last. Two. Yeah. Yeah. So, what are we covering today, Nick? Maybe I should ask. Yeah, that. you should yeah. ask that. Hey guys, what are we covering this week? Yeah. So. I guess I'll preface and say, yeah, we're covering the Hindenburg. The Hindenburg. The Hindenburg. And this is, of course, very famous, but we are doing this differently. So I am still doing kind of the normal thing, except that to, again, preface the whole thing. Take everything with a grain of salt. There's no report for this, of course. No. Because it it was... 1937 well, I will, and <laughs> I will also go over why if there was a report we wouldn't be able to get to it. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which if you think about the time period makes a lot of sense. No, it absolutely because, does. Because of the, the, war. the war. The war. Nazi Germany yeah. and almost all of those documents being completely demolished in yes. the, war. the war. The war. The war. But this was one of the most famous aviation accidents in history, so of course we're covering it anyway because it's just that big. And it was a really big deal. And there's a lot to talk about here. This isn't necessarily going to be a super long episode because there's no report. So there isn't all the normal things, but I am still doing the best I can to cover what I normally would, which is how it happened. And then I yeah. covered what happened. Right, and why. And why. 
You right. see what had happened was. Yeah. That's what I cover. And right. Miranda's on break, which is why she's able to do this. Yes. yes. <laughs> and also it didn't take me very long. So because yep. there's like only a certain amount of information you can take from each. Right. So. And then we have three people here to do question asking and commentary because yes. there's a lot in this anyways. Also taking with a grain of salt again, not to repeat myself, but He's because, like a broken record. because there's no report. This entire thing was based basically on witness statements. So understand that there can be a lot of hearsay and not a lot of factual information in this. But there also has been a lot of scientific analysis over the years. There was an investigation. There's a lot of things that are known, but there's still a lot of what ifs. There's a lot of question marks. And there's a lot of like, yeah, that sounds really dramatic. We don't know for sure if that's actually what happened. So I'll get into it, but just know that it was dramatic but I can't verify anything. And this is an exception to our normal requirement for a report. It is facilitated by the fact that it was so well witnessed. Yes. And investigated, though not as well documented. Yes. Please stop asking for Lanza 508. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because that does not qualify under these qualifications. I, unfortunately not. And I promise that someday we will try as hard as we can to do it, but it's going to require a lot of work. There was one living witness. This is definitely one of the earliest ones we've ever talked about. It is not the earliest. It is not, but it's pretty close. And there's actually another reason for that, which we'll talk about. There's a lot of firsts with this. This happened on May 6th of 1937. Yep. Which was a hot minute ago. Of course, this was a Hindenburg airship by Zeppelin, the Zeppelin company. Mm -hmm. They built airships or dirigibles. I will get into that whole concept and everything I'm later. Sure. We'll have a big conversation about that later, but of course we have to talk about it now because this is cover. I have to cover this very differently because it's not an aeroplane. No, it is an aero <laughs> ship. Right. So everything that the way that I talk about this whole thing makes it sound like a boat because that's basically how they treated these. It was basically a an, boat, an airboat, an airboat. <laughs> It's it's means of like floating. We're just in air and not in water. Yes. And so they treat it like buoyancy. Well, yeah, yeah it's the, still buoyancy. Just a boat attached to a balloon, basically. Basically, that's I mean, that's how they treat it. That's exactly how they treated these. It did have a registration. Yes. It was Delta Dash Lima Zulu one two nine. So it was it had a registration. Now, Delta, of course, being Deutschland, it is German because yes. Hindenburg. And the, Zeppelin. The, yeah, and Zeppelin were uh, German names, of course, and German built. This was a flight from Frankfurt in Germany to... Hey, we've been there. Yes, yeah. recently. To the Lakehurst Naval Air Station in Manchester Township, New Jersey. The captain for this flight was Max Pruss. I don't have any other... Okay, I shouldn't say I don't have any other information about them, but I don't have the normal information for them because they didn't track hours on airships. No. You Valid. had years of service, much like you would on a ship. Is it because they were kind of new at the time? or They no. were not new. No, we'll talk about it. This was... <laughs> I don't want to give that part away, but... Yeah. Airships were very common, actually, at the time and had been for a couple of decades. But... They didn't track hours the same way. They also didn't give ages. I even went to his page, and I'm sure I could figure out his age by calculation, but I didn't want to, nor do I really care. There's a lot of information about the captain. He has his own Wikipedia page. 
but they didn't track hours, so I don't have any of that normal stuff. Uh, there was a first officer and a second officer, but take that with a grain of salt. This is an airship. They don't do what you do on an airplane. Mm -hmm. They're like a boat. They're like a first officer and a second officer on a boat. They handle a lot more than like the controls of the thing, although they do that. They also like oversee the command of the staff. Like that is their thing. So that's a it's a whole it, the, the whole thing is structured like a boat. The first officer was Walter Zeigler. The second officer was Heinrich Bauer. Oh, so German. Yes. Oh, so German. Wasn't it? The airship was the largest flying machine on the planet at the time. Yep. And still is one of the largest flying things that has ever flown. Ever. Ever. I can't stress this enough. It is so much bigger than we can ever in the modern generation conceptualize. There are really cool comparisons of it compared to like the largest airplanes we have today, which already seem massive. And the Hindenburg dwarfs those aircraft completely. Good Lord. This thing is so massive. I really think you have to go see pictures of it and see people next to this thing to start to even understand how big just how big this thing was. I mean, it really was flying a boat because boats were this big. For all intents and purposes, a Titanic of the air, essentially. That's uh, what yeah. it was called, was the Titanic of the air. Yes. And oh. I'm out. And it really was, like, it, it was like a boat. <laughs> so you're saying it was as big as a boat? Yes. As a lot of boats. Big boats. Big boats. That one right there in the middle, the orange one, with the comparison to all the biggest airplanes in the world. <laughs> Cute. Like the Antonov's in there, the A380's in there, the Hercules, the... the, the Spruce um, Goose. Spruce Goose is in there. And this thing just dwarfs those completely. But what about the part where, you know, like people are? The part where people are is really small. Yeah, it is I mean, really it's, small. It's <laughs> actually not that small. No, it's because, just small compared to the rest of the airship. No, because much like a boat, I don't want to like dive too deep. We still have to discuss this stuff uh, because it's important. Uh, dive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that, yeah, that picture you're actually hovering over, click on that one. There are people in that picture underneath it. No, there ain't. Yeah. Yeah. There are. No, those are just fleas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you see there's like windows like down at the bottom. Yeah. Of the of the Zeppelin. There's, there's a windows. Set of windows the, on those, the skin. That's where the passenger quarters So is. they were inside. Yes. They were inside. Yes. So there was an entrance deck and then there was a the so passenger cabin the was the tiny inside little of it. thing I'll go over this later. But the tiny little thing in the front that's the control room. That's where they fly the Zeppelin mm -hmm. from. But that's not where all the people are. The people are on a deck above that. Correct. Inside. The yes. Room. Yes. Yes. See, that's what I didn't. I, I. Yeah. The little part that's always visible. Like I figured. Yeah. Okay. That's where the. Where, where, where's the rest? There are so many things about this that, I, like, honestly, I wish I could have experienced it. Yes. Also glad I didn't. There, <laughs> we will get so far into that. You have no idea. I know. But anyways, this thing topped out at 78 miles an hour so it was not a rocket by any means but it was the fastest way of getting across the ocean at the time it was it was the fastest way of getting across the ocean for the public dang so it only took a few days to get across <laughs> instead of a week yeah for it, example it took passengers three days yep. instead of six to right. get from the uh, coast of Europe right. to the coast of the United States. And of course, this was for the most elite because they didn't carry very many people because it couldn't hold very many people. And 
even though this thing was massive, like it, it holds far less people than we're used to on airplanes today. So I guess what I'm wondering is like, how did they deal with like storms and stuff being that this was so large? Weather was a thing they had to be extremely conscious of. Which they is would actually not... pertinent to this crash. Very, so. which I get into. They won't fly into weather at all. No. At all. They can't. This is a completely VFR machine and actually airships still are today. Blimps are entirely only visual flight rules. They will not fly into weather. They're not supposed to. No. This does not apply to GTA. No. <laughs> no. It does not apply to GTA. That's a long story. If you ever if you're ever curious, go look up Survive the Hunt GTA and just watch Fail Races videos on those. Not a sponsor, just go watch them. They are addicting. They're hilarious. Yep. Anyways, so this was the largest flying machine at the time, still one of the largest in history. And this was the flagship of the Hindenburg class from Zeppelin, the Zeppelin company. These were built with the intention of being luxurious world-traveling crafts. I mean, they were built to literally take the the rich people on luxurious travel across the Atlantic. That was pretty much the purpose. The Hindenburg had flown 10 trips between Europe and the U.S. in 1936. To kick off 1937, the flying season for the Hindenburg in 1937, the, the ship had done a round trip from Europe to Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. The ship was then making its first of 10 planned round trips for the year between Europe and the U.S. This trip to the U.S. was to have 36 passengers joined with the 61 crew. <laughs> yes, there are way more crew than there are passengers. Mm -hmm. Is it even profitable? Those people were paying what would be considered extremely high dollar Okay, to be there and have their every needs catered to. I mean, they were... That's why there with, were so many right. crew on the ship. They were met with fine dining and music and... It's exactly like a cruise ship in yes, the air. It's right. exactly what it was. But more expensive. <laughs> yes. Like, the, if like, you can imagine that. The people that yes. were paying for first class on a ship, on like a boat, an actual boat, like couldn't pay for this. <laughs> I mean, the, we're talking about like literally the richest people on the planet were doing this. Because it's the only people that could really afford it. It was expensive. This was, I mean, this was world-class, top-of-the-line air travel and travel period. The flight departed from Frankfurt in Germany on May 3rd. The airship arrived, and it was about 7.15 p.m. at night, by the way, when it departed Frankfurt. Crossed over Europe into the U.K. It left the coast of the U.K. at about 2 a.m. and then off over the ocean, went over the, the tip of Greenland, uh, the southern tip of Greenland, and then over into Newfoundland, Nova Scotia, and... Then on into the U.S. It arrived over Boston on the morning of May 6th. The airship was to arrive at the Lakehurst Moor, where the packs would disembark, and a new set of passengers would then board the airship to return to Europe. So they were going to do a whole passenger swap in Lakehurst in New Jersey. Many of the passengers that were due to board in New Jersey to go over to Europe were headed to London for the coronation of King George VI and Queen Elizabeth the following week. The regent yes. mother, yes, as she was later called, not yes. Queen Elizabeth II. Okay, because no. I was like, hold on, she no. didn't become queen until no, 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 after no, the war. No. <laughs> she... The first Queen Elizabeth. Okay. No, not the first Queen Elizabeth. Well, no. no, the regent. She was the queen mother eventually. She is 
regent. She was regent only due to marriage. Therefore, she didn't get the official title. Yeah. Queen Elizabeth I was actually the daughter of King Henry VIII. Yep. One of them. Yes. I believe she was Anne Boleyn's daughter. I okay. I just looked this up last night after we watched six. Yeah. So, and then Elizabeth II is the Elizabeth that just passed. Yes. yes. Just. Yes. The whole English monarchy lineage. Yeah, it's I, crazy. I don't know. It's crazy. Know. Uh, planes are supposed to have numbers, not people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when the airship entered the U.S. over Boston, it was already about six hours late coming in. The craft then arrived over Manhattan in New York, which drew crowds out into the streets, and it became a newsworthy spectacle for all. I mean, it flew and floated around Manhattan three hours after it flew over Boston. There is footage of it flying over absolutely is. So this deviation to Manhattan, because they actually weren't intending to fly originally just over Manhattan for no particular reason at slow speed. But they did this on purpose. And this deviation was partly to kill time while some storms were occupying the area in and around Lakehurst. Because we just talked about they can't fly through storms. Right. Literally, like, nothing. Like, some winds, very light winds, it's okay. But anything beyond that, and they really can't. The airship passed over the field that they intended to land at, Lakehurst, at about 4 p.m., but then took the passengers out on a tour of the seashore of New Jersey while continuing to wait for storms to pass because there was still some wind, some rain, whatnot, and the winds were just too high to make a safe landing. 6.22 p.m. local time, the airship was notified that the weather was clearing. The captain then had the ship steered toward Lakehurst, the Lakehurst landing site, and began preparing for the landing and arrival, which is quite the event. Since the airship was running about half a day late, the airship was only planned to be on the ground for a short time to exchange passengers and supplies and then get back airborne and on their way to Europe. Normally, the airship would remain on the ground for part of the day. It was supposed to arrive early in the day, like mid-morning, and then depart in the evening. And while it would normally be there during the day, they would normally allow the public to come and visit and tour it and see it because it's just it's a spectacle. People, mm-hmm. that's, people want to do that. So people would come out in droves to do that. However, the public was informed not to come because there was not time for this since their day had been cut short short due to storms. 7 p.m. local time, the Hindenburg was at 650 feet and on its final approach into Lakehurst. The landing was to be a flying moor landing, which involved dropping the landing ropes and mooring cable from a high altitude, then to be winched down onto the mooring mast which supports and anchors the ship from the front while it's on the ground. So I just said a lot of things that I know we've never talked about before, because honestly, even to me, it's like this isn't this is still kind of a foreign concept because we don't talk about our ships. Why would we? After the Hindenburg, we'll talk about it. But so literally, normally, there's a couple of ways that airships can approach a a moor, much in the same way, like you can moor a ship, you can moor an airship. So it's how you dock, basically. But it's how you dock without being permanent. These moor masts, they're big metal structures intended to anchor the, the these airships to the ground. Like that? Yes, like that. Hmm. They're intended to hold the airship in place for what would be a temporary amount of time while it's still intended to be afloat and ready to get back into the air again. 
Otherwise, they would go into what is called the shed or a big hangar that the airship can fit in if they're planning to do work or it just needs to be stored for a while or anything like that. And it is massive. These things are massive. These things are huge structures because they have to hold huge airships at the time. So there's a couple of them down in San Francisco. There's one in Tillamook, Oregon. Yep, there's one in Tillamook. That one Nick and I have been to. Mm -hmm. And then you can get cheese and ice cream afterwards. Yes, you can. But they're really big facilities, so those are what you would normally use. But this one's getting hooked to a, a moor mast, which is just the big metal structure out in the open that holds the ship. Normally, you can approach this by slowly floating in down to the low altitude, straight in, and then they just hook the cable to the moor mast, and the airship comes to a stop and just holds right there against it. Uh, in this case, you're doing a landing that takes more time, <laughs> more. <laughs> but less manpower, weirdly. Because it doesn't require as many guides, it doesn't require as many people to literally physically guide the ship in and pull it in, because normally that would be done with ropes. This one, actually, this approach basically has them coming in, coming to basically a stop over the, the moor mast. They throw down a couple of ropes, which get hooked into winches. They throw down the moor mast line, the cable, which then gets hooked to the moor mast. And then it's just literally winched straight down into place. So it's relatively simple, but it takes a lot of time. This was not a common landing type for the Hindenburg, however, compared to like American airships, which at the time they were really used to doing, but the Hindenburg had only done it a few times. 7.09 p.m., the airship made a sharp left turn at full speed to head west around the field while the ground crews finished preparing because they weren't quite ready yet. Like there was just a break in the storm and they were like, go, 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 go. We got to get in and we got to land and they weren't ready yet. <laughs> They weren't ready on the ground yet, so they were like, wait, go around. So they did a hard turn at full speed, kind of looped around, and then began again. Two minutes later, the ship turned back toward the landing site and began valving gas mm -hmm. I, to lower altitude. Not gas. Right. It's. I'll go over it, but yeah, yeah. it's a whole wave to get them to drop altitude quickly. Yeah, they're releasing the contents of the balloon. <laughs> Which to is allow a them, gas. Yes, to allow them well, to lower. Well, actually, it was water Oh, from water mm -hmm. ballasts that They're, kept the ship, but... They do that, too. Yes. So. It is a fluid. It is a fluid. <laughs> so somewhat yeah. similar to, like, a hot air balloon and how they, they can... Very yes. similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. It all works basically the same. This one just has motors to push it forward. That's about it. The captain brought the engines to idle and the airship slowed. 7.14 p.m., the airship was at 394 feet when the captain ordered the aft engines run full astern to slow the ship even further. Again, things you can't do with airplanes. No, this <laughs> literally sounds like a ship. Yeah, exactly. I mean, really, that's how this is all written out. It's written out like a boat, because it is. It's what it is. It's a, just a flying boat. So it, that's just saying, literally, they, they basically reversed the engine so that they would slow the airplane or slow the airship to a stop, right? 7.17 p.m., the captain ordered another sharp turn due to a shift in the wind while they were approaching the moor mast. The airship performed an S-turn as it neared the landing site. One minute later at 7.18 p.m., the captain then ordered that 300, another 300, and f a followed by another 500 kilograms of water ballast be released from the rear in successive drops in order to help the airship's nose come back up. Yeah, because balance well, it. Back down, I should yeah. say. Because the, the rear of the ship right now was really down toward the ground and the nose was up. So they were leaning tail downward and they were trying to re-ballast so that it would come forward. Like a boat. Right. 
The forward gas cells revolved and to assist as well. That didn't help much, any of this. So the captain ordered six men from the crew to go to the bow of the ship to trim it. There is a physical trim that you can do on this air, this airship, but it has to be done by people at location. Like a boat. Like a boat. <laughs> so they sent six people to the front of this thing to trim it. 7.21 p.m., the airship reached 295 feet in descent, and the mooring lines were dropped from either side of the bow. These are the ropes they're going to use to winch it in. These were attached to winches at the landing site. Crews on the ground managed to secure one line to the winch on the port or the left side. However, the line on the starboard or the right side was not connected yet, and they were still kind of floating freely. As the crews collected the mooring lines, it began to rain slightly. 7.25 p.m., witnesses reported seeing several strange anomalies which we'll discuss later. I'm sure I'm, I'm leaving that for you. Yes. What witnesses saw, but we can also just discuss it. Well, ha- so I'll preface this with, I have more of the theology behind what happened. Yes, I know. Rather that's, than a lot of what the witnesses saw. Well, that's because that's kind of all we have, but right? We'll, so we'll talk about yeah. it. So witnesses reported seeing several strange anomalies just a few moments before a fire appeared from the top of the ship near the rear. Suddenly, there was just little spots of fire. There were books on where this fire supposedly started. Dude, it's a whole can of worms. I know. On where it started. <laughs> there there are literally books on where supposedly this fire started. And we'll could go have over why, the... because it's bananas. Yes, the theories they came up with. Well, and when I get to the end of this, you might have a little better understanding of why it's so hard to know exactly where it started. We'll, we'll get well, there. <laughs> we'll get there. If you saw what happened to it afterward. Oh, my God. Those on board suddenly felt a jolt or a shock that was described as a detonation by some. The crew initially thought that a rope had broken, but that was not the case. The fire very quickly spread over the rear of the hull. The ship began sinking toward the ground rapidly. News crews and one spectator on the ground filmed and photographed the incident, mm-hmm. though seemingly not through the moment that the fire began. They had everything after that. Yep. <laughs> but wild that there is literally like no news footage or anything of the moment the fire started. Anywhere. However, that's never actually been confirmed. We don't know. The flames quickly spread forward, consuming cells one through nine. And the rear end of the craft imploded from the blast, uh, or sorry, it imploded. And then from the blast, from the implosion, two tanks burst out of the hull and went flying. Uh, It was never determined whether those tanks were fuel tanks or water tanks. Whatever the case, they went way far away. The bow shot upward, so the nose of the craft shot upward pretty quickly, and The rear fell very quickly as buoyancy was lost, causing the ship's back to break. So literally the whole ship just snapped like a Titanic, just in the other direction. The bow remained upward and in trim for some time, actually, so it didn't, like, roll over. The whole thing never rolled over, which was kind of interesting. The tail then struck the ground, at which point flames shot out of the nose of the ship, which caused nine of the 12 crew members stationed in the bow to perish. Yeah, very dramatically. Like, it literally just shot flames out of the nose. All the way through. As soon as the the tail impacted. 
Very dramatic. The cell behind the passenger deck ignited, and the sides of the ship's the ship began collapsing inward, so imploding again. The gondola wheel, so literally there's a wheel underneath the control gondola where they're all sitting controlling the ship. There's one wheel underneath that. Uh, it touched the ground, which caused the bow to bounce back up slightly as the rest of the gas cells burned away along with all of the ship's skin very quickly. The ship's gas is burned quickly, but the diesel from the ship continued to burn for hours after the crash. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the immediate after, as in rescue, because not everybody perished in this. Mm -mm. As a matter of fact, most didn't. Chief Petty Officer Frederick Bull Tobin, who commanded the airship landing team from the ground, ordered his men to conduct rescue operations despite the dangers by shouting the famous line, quote, Navy men stand fast, end quote. It took roughly 32 to 37 seconds from the time the first flames were seen to the time that the bows crashed to the ground. However, expert analysis estimated that it may have been as little as 16 seconds for the whole total destruction of the airship. So it took me all that time to describe everything that was happening. It literally happened in seconds. Yeah, and the whole reason they can't determine where the fire started is because it literally happened in seconds. The whole thing was gone in seconds. You miss so it. fast. And all the evidence was burned away. Right. And for some perspective, we'll, we'll talk about this in a second. I guess, let me get there, because there's a good perspective on just how fast this happened. Many passengers and crew evacuated themselves, including the captain, who kept returning to the burning wreckage to rescue more survivors. Until, good. Until he was finally restrained by somebody because he kept getting burned. Oh. Going back into the fire to try to help people, which I understand, but at the same time, they were like, dude, stop. Okay, but it's better than the captain of that one cruise ship. Well, yes. Yeah. Coast Concordia, yeah. yeah. The news outlets covering the Hindenburg's arrival were, of course, shocked by the tragedy unfolding in front of them. One such reporter on site was Herbert or Herb Morrison, who was made famous for his radio witness account, aired a day after the crash, where he shouted about the tragedy and famously shouted the line, Oh, the humanity! Which actually wasn't in the vernacular for most people in the English language until he said that. We know this is kind of a commonplace phrase these days, but actually it came from him. It was just something he shouted in the moment because he wasn't sure what to say. He was so shocked. And when you listen to his report, you can tell why. But Oh, the Humanity came from this newscast. It wasn't something that was in the vernacular for English speakers before that. Like, There's no record of it really being written or said until that point. So it was made very famous by, of course, this this crash. In all, 13 passengers and 22 crew perished in the crash, which on Wikipedia, people were nice enough to point out that that was exactly 26% of passengers and 26% of crew <laughs> perished. 23 passengers and 39 crew survived, but many were badly burned or injured. Pretty much all of them. Yes. It was it was horrific. It happened so fast. They had news footage of people. I mean, and ambulances back then were so tiny. Yeah, yeah. They had like like a bunch of ambulances taking people wrapped up yeah. in gauze to hospitals in Manhattan. Yep. And That's then the closest they had. Right. And then one of the men who was on the ground in charge of mooring the ship uh, also perished when it fell in flames on him, unfortunately. Several of those that had perished from this crash had actually been rescued or made it out, but later succumbed to their injuries in either hours or days later. 
It is so easy for burns to get infected. Oh, big time. Yeah. Especially in the 30s. Yeah. 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 So this thing was super ugly. And if you go and listen, it's actually on the Wikipedia page, which, of course, best of all sources. But actually, there's so much information on the Hindenburg that a there's lot of it is. so much information. <laughs> a lot of it is pretty true. But the the whole audio recording from his broadcast from just a few moments before the tragedy started all the way through his coverage of it is both transcripted on the Wikipedia page and you can actually go listen to it there. Uh-huh. And it's the whole thing I'm, is I'm good. The thing is a minute and 16 seconds, which gives you some perspective by the time he stopped the broadcast, the ship was gone. Yep. So it starts before anything had happened and then he starts saying, "Oh, there's flames." And then you just hear him start shouting all of these things about how it's a tragedy, it's horrible, I have to avert my eyes, you know, I gotta go take cover, I don't want to see this, and this is the worst thing I've ever seen, and then it ends, and the ship is gone by that point. Yep. The whole thing happens that fast. And that's all I'm gonna cover. I mean, we had a handful of sources for this, of course, Wikipedia being one, we had yes. a few from other people, but they they all kind of match up, too, so mm-hmm. we'll link the resources since we don't have a report. Yeah. But at this point... Obviously, it's crazy enough as it is. I don't know if you have any wild questions or burning things you need to ha, say. Ha, ha. Oh God, bad jokes. Yeah, I know. Well, I don't. I don't think it's too soon, is it? No. We're gonna take a break and then get into her part. But if you have anything for me, no, jump I mean, in now. Is it too yes. soon? No, it's not too soon anymore. This was 1937. So far, all I've got is big balloon go boom. Yes, big That's balloon it. go boom. Which is really all that I covered. So. Okay, so we'll take a break, and then we'll get into what had happened. Yes, what had happened. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, we're back. Okay. So I, I guess looking at the way that he stated this about, oh, the humanity and all the passengers screaming here, I, I can definitely see how he may not have meant it as necessarily like in the way that we use it today and more of the sense of like oh the humanity of like all these people dying basically like yes that was what he was trying to get at but he kind of because he kept stuttering on his sentences and his words especially if you listen to it that's very clear and oh the humanity was supposed to be like the start of a sentence that he he continued into something else but it was like he never finished a thought yeah but that became those that those three little words just became a part of our English vernacular as we know it today from that yeah. thought he was having in the moment. Yeah, just it's just crazy how that how quickly this all went down and how fast this guy's brain must have been running to try to yeah. catch up with all this. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I encourage you to go and listen to this on the Wikipedia page sometime. It'll be linked on the website, yeah. the Wikipedia page. So if yeah. anybody would like to go listen to it, you can. Right. It, it, it is worth the listen, I think, just because it is, it, it's, it puts a lot of things in perspective. It's very telling. And also, like, at the time, this was a world tragedy. Like, this was massive. I mean, people were shocked. There's a whole, I didn't go into who perished and who was on the ship, but there were a lot of very famous, wealthy people from the era. And there's a whole section about who perished. Yes. Okay. So you see what had happened was 
But before we get into what happened specifically <laughs> yes. to the Hindenburg, I thought it would be a good idea to just discuss how airships work. Because I feel like a lot of people nowadays don't really understand, like, the gases used and the structure and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, so I was like, I should probably go over that. So, airships or there's, like, a type of balloon displets. What What is it called? What do you mean? The the, the name of the dridge balloons? Dir dirigible? Dirigible, yeah. Dirigible, yeah. That's what they're called. Yeah. Uh, they are a type of aerostat. Or lighter than air aircraft. Yep. Aerostats gain their lift from a type of lifting gas, which is less dense than the surrounding air. Mm -hmm. That's how they float. That's how things float. That is physics. That is physics. Hydrogen is one gas that has been used due to its high lifting capacity and ready availability. It's also relatively inexpensive. However, it, it is, is highly flammable. flammable. Super flammable. Helium gas was also used because it had about the same lifting capacity as hydrogen, and it wasn't flammable. Because but, it's a noble gas. Yes. Yes. But it was rare and relatively expensive at the time, and actually, we'll get into this, but the Hindenburg was a German-made ship, and a lot of the helium was actually found in the United States, and that was a whole thing. So, Is that still the case? I don't know, but that's the case back then. <laughs> back when it mattered. Yeah, helium has been used in most airships since the 1960s, though some have used hot air, like balloons, hot air balloons. The most helium-rich natural gas deposits are in Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas. Yeah. I was under the impression that we're running mm -hmm. out of helium. Well, we are. Oh, great. Back to, uh, back to uh, the flammable gases, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not great. Anyway, well, and like I said, a lot of... Airships now actually use hot air like normal hot air balloons do. So, but they won't use hydrogen, and this crash is no, part of the reason really? why. So, the envelope of an airship or the space that holds the gas, the big part, yeah, uh, may contain a gas bag where it's just a huge bag of gas or a number of gas filled cells. Which is how this one works. Yes. And I'll get into how many cells it is later. An airship lasso has engines, crew, and sometimes a payload accommodation, which are housed in one or more of the gondolas suspended below the envelope. Right. So the Hindenburg had just one... Envelope. One gondola. One big gondola, and it was actually pretty sizable. You can't tell from the pictures, but that was actually a pretty big one because normally a lot of other airships that were... Similar in size, but actually tended to be smaller than this even. Had like two or three mm -hmm. underneath the ship. The main types of airship are non-rigid, semi-rigid, and rigid. Non-rigid airships are often called blimps. Yep. They rely on internal pressure to maintain their shape. Semi-rigid airships contain the envelope shape by internal pressure, but have some supporting structure on the outside. And rigid airships have an outer structure framework that maintains the shape and carries a structural load, or all structural loads. While the lifting has it has is contained in one or more of the internal gas bags or cells. Rigid airships were first flown by Count Ferdinand von Zeppelin. And hence, Zeppelin. And the vast majority of rigid airships were built and manufactured by the firm he founded... I'm not going to try the beginning word because that's a big German word. Luftschiffbau is what it looks like. 
Luft is definitely the first part of it. Luft obviously continues throughout all of German history. Yeah, Luft Schiffbau. Luft is air. Luft air. is air. Right. Yeah. Luft is air. Exactly. Lufthansa airline. Yes. Luftwaffe yes. Air Force. Yes. Uh, so Luftschiffbau Zeppelin is the company name. And they were called Zeppelins. They manufactured Zeppelins. Airships were most commonly used before the 1940s, and their use has decreased due to the advancement in airplanes and also the explosion of the Hindenburg, <laughs> as well as high-profile accidents, one of which was the Hindenburg. Yep. Luftschiffbau translates to airship construction. Weird. <laughs> Germans are so very Practical. literal. Yes. Very literal. So do you, do you talk about the Hindenburg in history, like how it fits in airship history? Not a lot. Okay. The Hindenburg but, was the end of the air, the airship era. Oh, yes. Was, I did talk about that. Okay. It is the absolute abrupt end to the airship era. Yes. I wonder why. Yeah. Huh. It turns out the world was all of a sudden like, we don't this want that. This is a horrible idea. Yeah, we don't want that. Yeah, like- we could actually have a very different aviation history today. Yes, we could. If the Hindenburg didn't happen. Yes. The Hindenburg was a German Zeppelin that had 16 hydrogen gas cells that made it fly. Mm-hmm. Now, we already know what happened, right? It exploded. Caught fire. Needless big to say, as soon as you booming. have a little bit of flame with some hydrogen, it, it goes up gone. pretty fast. Which is funny because the passenger cabin had a... Do you talk about that? Hmm. It had a smoking section? Yes, it did. <laughs> it's exactly like what you would think on a cruise ship. It had a smoking section. It had fine dining. They yeah. had a lounge. They had very nice areas to sleep yeah. for the people who were on the Zeppelin. I mean, it was a whole thing. Yeah, they had a cigarette and cigar room. Yes, they I'm, did. Uh, I'm reminded of Archer where he's constantly knocking the cigarettes out of people's hands. Like, you madman, do you know what kind of gases are above us? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and they're rich people, so some of their fine dining is that like those dishes they pour alcohol and light on fire too. Yeah. I'm sure. Literally, everything's I'm sure. On fire. Yes. <laughs> Who knows? Back then, I don't know if you got to cook that, the food somehow. Yeah. Too, so, I mean. <laughs> That's you're not wrong. <laughs> and engines, you got engines on the outside of this thing too that are you know little combustion chambers. I mean. But it made 10 successful trips the year before and already made one trip already. So they were like, yeah, this is yeah. great. But who it, thought it was a good idea to have so much fire well, on board with so much hydrogen on board? Right. Well, and, well, course, and that actually wasn't a factor, but we'll get into there why. There was a handful of accidents, because, but of course, because this was the biggest airship and it was all over the news and it went up in flames in front of everybody, it made a big, big, big change. change. It, made, it made a big impact on the industry, too, because for 30 years... This was air travel yes. for the public. This was the first form of public air travel. While we had like airlines within with like actual little aircraft, what we call fixed wing yes. aircraft, this actually became the first airline. Well, and not only that, but like during World War One, the Germans used Zeppelins to drop bombs on other cities. Yep, sure. Like did. it was basically what you would think of as what airplanes were used for. Zeppelins and other airships were used for back in the day. Yep. This was the literally cruise ships of the sky. That's literally what they were. So my understanding, and, and most of this is from fiction because I don't know anything about this, but was that this was the easiest, most reliable flight device uh, thing that you could take a bunch of people in. And then before then, it was little planes that were kind of hard to control. And so this was 
this felt safer. Yes. At the time, yeah, absolutely it did. I mean, it was slower, so it was more to what we were accustomed to as people when it came to, like, boats. We were used to that. We weren't used to air travel yet. And, yeah, we hadn't perfected it by any means. So at most fixed-wing airplanes, their engines were so lacking in performance, we'll say, up to this point, that they could really only carry two to four people max. So you're not taking a lot of people very far. No. So they these, even though they were slower than fixed-wing aircraft, they were way faster than boats, and they could carry more people well, than an airplane. And if you think about the time period, the advancement in airplanes right after this happened was huge because of the war. Yes. So ultimately, it was a little bit inconsequential when it came to that, mm-hmm. because we started getting reliable fixed-wing airplanes from... Politics. I mean, people, <laughs> people still fly airships, but they aren't as big as the Hindenburg. And There is one, actually, that is bigger. It exists now, but it's pretty much a test airship, and that's all it is. I mean, the ones we usually see yeah, what are you, not... What we see are blimps, any, typically. They're blimps. We're used to the blimps. not nearly as big as the Hindenburg right. was. But Lockheed had their hand in a company, and I don't remember what their name was, but out of California for the last like eight, nine years has been, they built and have been testing an absolutely massive airship. What's uh, kind of astounding to me is that what less than within 20 years, I think probably less than that after this accident, the Germans had already made jets essentially like, yeah, oh, it was only insane from the time of this accident. It was only eight years it's that they just, had a jet in the sky. It's just crazy. Uh, yeah. This is why, this is why, and not to get philosophical, we'll go on a tangent, but this is why when I say World War II was the period of time, okay. honestly, in the modern era, in any time, honestly, almost any time in human history, it's the one period of time that we've done so much advancement in such a short amount of time. Compared to any other time in history, it was truly the biggest, like I would say, globe-changing thing for technology. Unfortunately, like World War II was absolutely atrocious, but it forced us to go through a lot of technological advances that we had never even considered throughout history or been incapable of, aviation included. Yes. Aviation being one of the biggest pieces, actually. Seems to be one of the things that humans are good at is uh, we can make really good innovations when we're trying to kill each other. Pretty much. Unfortunately, yes. So the whole explosion happens, right? Yeah. There wasn't an investigation done by the Americans and by the Germans mm-hmm. into the fireball that was the Hindenburg. Yes. Uh, keep in mind, this is before the CAB. Right. This was like so early on. So they did what so a lot the, of countries do. The investigation was done by the Department of Commerce. Yes. And in conjunction with the Nazi German government. Yes. Because this starts coming up. (laughs) So, due to the increasing tension between the U.S. and Nazi Germany at the time, Mm -hmm. there was a theory of sabotage. A big one. The thought was that someone purposely set the Zeppelin on fire. And the theory was originally presented by Hugo Eckner, who was the former head of the Zeppelin company and the quote-unquote old man of German airships. And he had gotten some threatening letters, and the thought of sabotage became an issue. Mm -hmm. However, there was only circumstantial evidence to support the sabotage theory, and it was put to the side and considered not a factor. So they were like, we think someone purposely set fire to the actual Zeppelin from inside 
right before it docked on purpose. But they couldn't, there was no evidence to prove that fact of anybody on board, of any reason they would do it. There was no reason. Mm -hmm. So that was quickly put aside. (laughs) But it was still, it's still, I shouldn't say it was, it is still something that history has not proven or disproven. There, so there was no evidence to prove it was. Correct. There was no evidence to prove it wasn't. Because the whole thing burned. Right. <laughs> but there's a lot more to this. So since there was only circumstantial evidence, uh, they went on to other theories. The Hindenburg was meant to hold helium originally, but due to the export restrictions by the United States on Nazi Germany, they decided to put hydrogen in it instead. The next big theory they considered was that there was a hydrogen leak and that was ignited by an electrostatic discharge or a spark. There was a theory that there was a leaking hydrogen cell toward the tail of the Zeppelin and the mixture of the hydrogen and oxygen became a very highly flammable gas. The thought was that the spark was most likely caused by a difference in electric potential between the airship and the surrounding air. The airship was about 200 feet above the Arab field in an electrically charged atmosphere. Yeah, because it was raining. Yes. There had been a thunderstorm in the area not that long before the Zeppelin had tried to land, but the ship's metal framework was grounded by its landing line. The difference in electric potential likely caused a spark to jump from the ship's fabric covering the ship's framework um, to the cell. That was leaking right. and caused an explosion. The fabric on the outside of the envelope has the ability to hold a charge. It does. And this was something that actually. Let me get into it because I, I get into it. The Don't myth- steal my thunder, no, Nicholas. No, no, no. But the Mythbusters actually covered that. <laughs> and But this was actually, and I still believe this is one of the more probable theories, because actually some of the witness statements was that they saw some of the skin flapping from mm-hmm. a gas leak just before the fire. Mm-hmm. Or that's what they thought they saw. That's what they thought they saw. Who I mean, knows? Again, again, witness statements are only the most reliable thing on the planet. We've talked about that a million times. Every true crime podcast talks about that a million times. Yes. The other thing was like the origin of the hydrogen leak is still a mystery. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, the theory that the ship had a significant leak of hydrogen before the disaster, but they don't know why or how. Yeah. They just are pretty sure it was leaking hydrogen somewhere and it mixed with oxygen and it became yeah. flammable and boom so if it was leaking wouldn't there be evidence like oh hey we have to keep on refilling this well it had 16 cells each cell is in its own sack right so if one cell is leaking i mean it had issues keeping buoyancy and that might have been the reason why it had issues keeping buoyancy in the tail was because of the issue with that one cell towards the tail not having a lot of hydrogen but for them to be like, oh, clearly we have a leak somewhere because yeah. I don't think they would have even figured that out. They no. they just thought they were having issues coming in because they were too high or too fast or who knows what, right? Right. There was no CVR, <laughs> yeah. so there was no way to know what they were thinking. And frankly, it was really hard for them to try to figure out if there was a leak because it's not like we have uh, an electronic system that says, oh, hey, there's a leak, right. cell one or whatever, right? Well, on top right. of it, you know, being such a gigantic craft, like seeing how, how much it dwarfs even modern aircraft, like to try and fix something like that would have taken a lot of work. It would yes. have been, yeah. 
And a would, lot of work. If it didn't blow up, would they have figured out it had a leak? Maybe, but they were so rushed to turn around, I'm not even sure they would have even known. So even if this didn't happen right on the ground, doesn't mean it couldn't have happened later. Mm-hmm. There was also a theory that the Zeppelin's fabric was highly flammable due to the paint they used on the fabric. I've heard this theory. Yes. Um, if you've seen the Mythbusters episode, you'd understand why. That was. I uh, think I must have watched the Mythbusters episode. Every this time, sounds familiar. Throughout this entire thing, it was what was running through my head the whole time. I was <laughs> like, God, the Mythbusters episode on this like covered so much of this, and it's it's interesting and the theories. Yes. Because we did like. We didn't fully even understand what the Germans had done. No. With this airship. We had some ideas about what the skin had, but we weren't certain. (laughs) So that was actually proven to be false, like very false. The Hindenburg was one of many hydrogen airships destroyed by fire because of the flammability of the hydrogen itself. Yeah. And they had some of the leftover fabric, not like there was fabric that did come off the Hindenburg that had been tested to see how flammable it was. And not to say that the the fabric wasn't flammable, but it wouldn't have caused it to go up so fast no. if it was just the fabric that was catching on Needless fire. Needless to say, it wasn't the explosive part. <laughs> no, it would not have. It would have taken the ship 40 minutes to go up in flames rather than 35 seconds. Right. So, so. you know. The Hindenburg, oh, I already, you already said that, but it had completed 10 successful transatlantic flights before the explosion. Actually, 11, mm-hmm. if you count yes. the one that year. Yeah, the one to Rio. Uh, and the airship traveling dropped off after the explosion of the Hindenburg. The luxury of traveling via airship overseas was squashed completely. People were like, yeah, that seems dangerous. I don't want to do that. Uh, And then pretty soon after this, Germany started the war with the world. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And uh, not just them, but they started this whole thing. And so transatlantic flying commercially was pretty much doused anyway. Yep. Yeah. At the time. In case you were wondering... It is Mythbusters Season 5, Episode 2, which is not on Discovery+. Plus. It's one of the seasons that's not on Discovery+. And Plus, I'm mad. Which means it's probably somewhere else. Yeah. Yarhar made it. It's on Philo. And Hulu. And Amazon. Well, that's if you have a premium subscription, my guess would be to Hulu. Or Philo. Mm-hmm. Man, what? I'm so mad. And that's that's all I got. Yeah, so... They're basically like... Do we actually know what happened? No. no. We got a lot of theories and uh, like one really, really plausible theory, but yeah. we actually have no idea what happened because and that's, all the evidence was burned up. And that's so. actually usually the case with these old ones. Is it's really hard to it definitively say. Mostly witness statements. Yes. That's how they did the investigation, which by the way, it was a court of inquiry. So yes, it, was. <laughs> it wasn't a board or anything. And then I read an interesting theory too. Because I read about the captain and on his page. And there's a lot to talk about the captain, too, which I didn't really cover because it's inconsequential to the accident. But some people blamed him. They thought because he was doing these aggressive maneuvers trying to line up with the 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 mooring mast in the winds and the weather and trying to do it quickly, that he knocked something loose in the tail around the cells and caused it to catch flame. They actually some people blame him and he holds to to till his death that. No, that's not what happened. And that the ship was perfectly capable of it. And as a matter of fact, so much so because he survived, 
He went on to actually be in charge of the airport in Frankfurt through and after the war. So he was a Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> and his like life goal beyond that, at least to my understanding after having read about him, his life goal after the accident was to bring the airships back. He wanted them back. It was like he loved them. He loved flying them. He was so proud of what he did. Even with the Hindenburg crash after that, like he held so true to his word of like, I didn't do anything with that. Like that was not my fault. It was an accident. It was horrible what happened, but airships are the best. And he wanted them back until the day he died. Well, and when before I started doing research on it, my initial thought was, whose great idea was it to put hydrogen mm-hmm. in a giant thing full of fire? Right. Uh, that was a horrible idea. Right. Which, now understanding it was so much cheaper, so much readily available, due right. to some restrictions from the United States, like... Right. And what I didn't realize... With what little I knew, I thought the whole big balloon was filled with it, not that they actually had controlled, supposedly like sealed, isolated cells. cells. Yeah. So it wasn't the most insane store idea as I thought it would be. Right. No. It's not a blimp. It's not just an envelope full of air. It's no, a it's structure that has cells. cells on it full right. of in, full of uh, light air. Right. I mean, this thing had a skeleton. Yes, it did. So, which is all that was left when it was burnt. Right. <laughs> it was on the ground. They have a memorial in New Jersey yeah. still. In uh, the shape of the Hindenburg. Yeah, that is where it crashed. So you said one thing that there had been other accidents, mm-hmm. other fiery accidents. Yes. Yeah. And it wasn't even just of hydrogen based airships it was of helium based airships i mean i hold on i can pull up the wikipedia page cuz they had a few examples there were a couple american airships that had exploded there was uh, mm-hmm. a uh, united kingdom one that had exploded uh in france it was a whole thing this yeah. was the biggest one and this well, was the well and most all the press was right there, right so this was very visible but it was far from the first it wasn't like it just makes me wonder like okay this keeps on happening uh let me go get on an even bigger one yeah, yeah. so I mean, you have to remember, too, like the whole reason that this came to an end, like the airship era came to an end, because, again, this was the biggest airship in existence with the most people in an accident in the public. Mm -hmm. So this was a huge thing for the world. This was a huge public tragedy. And I mean, much in the same way, too, like this ship was new. This airship was new. It was the largest, but it was also new. It was only around for a couple of years. And so much of the same way, like if the A380 had crashed within its first one or two years. Oh, Jesus. That would have brought the A380 to a stop, like (laughs) immediately because it's so gigantic. But they've proven to be very reliable. So this did not prove to be reliable. Their decline was accelerated by a series of high profile accidents, including the 1930 crash and burning of the British R101 in France. The 1933 and 1935 storm-related crashes of the twin airborne aircraft carrier U.S. Navy helium-filled Ridges, the USS Akron and the USS Macon, respectively, and the 1937 burning of the German hydrogen-filled Hindenburg. So there was a U.K. issue. There was a few rigid-made U.S. naval ships that had crashed due to being in um, really bad Mm-hmm weather Mm -hmm. so this wasn't the only one and these weren't even the only ones i mean they weren't 
unheard of. There were a lot of them in military use, so yes. they crashed a lot with the militaries. Well, you know, considering this podcast, obviously there have been a lot of fixed-wing aircraft crashes. Yes. yes. ton <laughs> of them. So it almost seems like there's just some stigma around all of this rather than, oh, hey, this could have eventually be figured out, and we could and have airships. Well, it's funny you bring that up, because there are companies that are trying to do that, but it wasn't until the 1990s when we really thought, hey, let's try that again. In, as a matter of fact, in the 1990s, the Zeppelin company came back. Ugh. Under a new name, but it was still under Zeppelin. So, it... it like, in the 90s, we finally thought, hey, maybe this is a possible thing again. Like, it's not going to be a mass-produced thing, because obviously we have mass-produced air travel in fixed wing. But That's it's something... faster and easier. Oh, yeah, by a lot. But but there are companies that are trying to prove, like, we could do short-distance air travel with these on a pretty efficient scale. Like, it, it's possible. Like, I could very much see it being a thing in, like... Iceland or other countries where it's like you'd have very scenic stuff to look at. Like yeah. I could see it, but like still the viability of it, I think is, you know, with having to deal with weather and air mm-hmm. currents and everything else, I just, I just don't see how it could be viable in a modern day still. Like I- I'm sure that there could be ways to make it safer, but yeah, there's a lot of research has been done. And of course we have a lot more science and technologies these days. So we have the technology. Yes. So these are very modern crafts, which have very far departed from the airships we know of the thirties and the twenties and the teens. But these newer ones still aren't any kind of mass produced and they still aren't practical. The biggest reason they're not practical has to do with airspace, actually, and with the size. Because the world is now becoming a far overpopulated place. Airports already take up a lot of space. Having to find places to put airships would just be even harder because they're so gigantic. They're so big. Right. That's why you dock them at the top of a skyscraper. Right, which was something we try to do. And that might not be the safest idea when they explode. So No, <laughs> turns out. It could have been much worse had they docked at the top of skyscrapers and it exploded. So there's that problem. But airspace is actually the primary one because, unfortunately, these b- balloons included, like hot air balloons included, fall under the category of airship. And the airship category is the one category of aircraft that is allowed to go anywhere. Yeah. Because they're considered far less controllable. So they have the right of way over everything, everything else in the sky. Airships are the one thing that have the right of way over every other flying thing on the planet. Not aliens. So the problem being with those, they have the right to technically fly into any airspace. But if we had more of them, they would suddenly be interrupting the airspace that we're using for mass commercial travel. And also each other at that point as well. I mean, yeah. So it's not something that is of much interest. And, of course, it could be used in detrimental means, too. But So another thought that occurs to me is I, I guess I don't understand how this would have been economically viable even at the time. Because, you know, if this was only... I mean, I guess if you're, if you're transporting, like, people who are in, like, the 0.1% or whatever that can mm-hmm. afford this, I, it kind of makes sense, but... Like with it makes about as much sense as using the Concorde. Yeah, pretty much. You have to understand. I mean, to yeah, getting to that point. 
okay, militaries used it because they didn't care. Budget's unlimited. Yeah. But the public use ones, Germany was the one operating them under the world's first airlines because they could. <laughs> they were government funded, owned and funded. So the money they were making off of it didn't matter. It was for prestige. And that's why this accident actually really highlights that because they were trying to do much better scheduled service than, say, a boat, which has planned days in and out. But they were aiming for time. Yes. Something that hadn't really been considered in, you know, crossing the ocean. And so that's why, like, they cut short the the tour of the airship and they were like, nope, we're just going to dock it as soon as we can, which was... I do think that was a bit of a mistake. They were trying to get in on bad weather really quickly. And anytime you're rushing, of course, that's continuation bias, which we've talked about a bunch of times. Undoubtedly, undoubtedly continuation bias was happening here. But because of that, like they were aiming for a schedule to get everybody on board, get everything changed out and send it back over to Europe right away. Like they were trying to keep a tight schedule because they had a prestige to uphold because this was Nazi Germany. And they were the best of anybody, right? Wrong. Well, this accident proved that that was wrong, of course, but they were trying to uphold something. And that's why, like, to them, it didn't matter. The money wasn't there. That That would make sense. Yeah. There were people spending really high dollar to be on the airship, and they weren't going to say no, (laughs) (laughs) you know, for the operating cost uh, of it. Much like a certain uh, owner of a very large company uh, taking his ship into space and taking rich people with him just because yes. let's do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like so we, we've we seen this yeah. uh, over and over in a bunch of different ways. But what I'm really getting from this is why there are so many theories, so much speculation, because there's rationale for all of them. All of these theories, mm-hmm. like while nothing can be proven. Nope. N- uh very few of them can be disproven. Pretty much. Like you were talking about the idea of there being a leak and I thought back to, okay, they kept on dropping ballast to like try to adjust it. A little bit of difficulties of control. Okay, that would make sense. Also the idea of sabotaging it to be a black mark on Germany. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not like that's never happened from the United <laughs> Yeah. States. So I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. It could have been some form of sabotage, sabotage, espionage. Could have been. They couldn't count it out, but it was not a great theory. Like they were like, okay, maybe, but they were pretty sure by the time that they were done doing the inquiry, like the official cause in both the American and German reports was there was a hydrogen leak that caught fire and it exploded. Right. Though both German and American agreed that was the cause. Right. Now, probable cause. Well, yes. But um, then they although, disagree on I'm pretty sure in else. their reports they said cause. But. but then they disagree on everything else after that. Yes. Uh, fun fact, I found this little thing at the bottom of this page. Uh, the American made two ships I talked about that, that mm-hmm. crashed. The USS Akron and the USS Macon. They were actually made as naval airplanes and they held F-9C Sparrowhawk fighters. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's right. They were launching airships. Yes. Which is just crazy. Um, this was a concept that has been thought about quite a few times throughout history. And there's How do you start an engine? Like, look at these planes. This is the planes that they were carrying inside the blimps. So cute. Yeah. Actually, they were rigid. So technically, they were Zeppelins, but they weren't like, made by Zeppelin. They were right. rigid, air, rigid yeah, airships. They were airships, yes. The concept of that is so cool. Like, yeah. that, that's just... 
that's that's amazing. Yeah, there's there's a little, I don't want to get too uh, too much on a tangent, but there's quite a few interesting things that have been tried, like throughout history, different militaries have tried to do with airships and aircraft. Yes. There was even there was even a concept similar to that with a seven four seven, where they were talking about an aircraft that could launch fighter jets and collect them in midair. But how do you start the engine midair? So on something this like this, like an airship, they would be tucked partially inside, was the theory, and then you could start the engine there, or a lot of these were hand prop. You just let that thing spin and fire it in the wind. <laughs> just drop. <laughs> you drop and Pray. it fire it up. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, so it, it reminds glides. me. Um, 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 Not very far, but it glides. I'm getting Treasure Planet vibes. Yes. Yes. Mm. The concept of a fixed-wing aircraft being carried and launched from airships was initially developed during the First World War. Initially, this proposed proposal originated in the United Kingdom to allow the British interceptors to conserve fuel by being carried to an altitude whereby they could engage German zeppelins. The increasing use of airships in the armed forces of various countries led to var variations on the idea of using aircraft with them, with major uses being for reconnaissance, extending the reach of the airship beyond the horizon, and to provide the airship with a degree of self-defense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, before we had, like, huge fighters yeah. that we did in World War II. They're like, we can send a big giant ship out into space to go do reconnaissance on you <laughs> As long as we want, because it's basically an unlimited ship. Like, it can just go. But it's giant, so it's not hiding from anything. Yeah. <laughs> so it needs to have something to protect itself. Honestly, all of this is, I think, why I really like a movie that kind of got panned, but Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow, mm -hmm. like, uses these aesthetics all over the place. Yeah. It has the flying carrier. It has yeah. The, yeah. The, the big... Balloons. I don't yes. know if they were blips or zeppelins. Yeah, yeah. yeah they were zeppelins because they were docking. Yeah. But they also have flying robots. Yes. Yeah. And that's the whole like airships as we know it and as we picture it from the 30s era and such, like these um, with the big metal frames and everything, are what really inspires steampunk that we know today. Treasure um, Planet. Right. <laughs> they were all perpetuating this airship thing but bringing it into like a modern sense and tying it to steampunk. Okay. So fun fact for those of you who are curious, I did find a cool little, it's called a documentary, but it's actually newsreel footage from when the Hindenburg blew up. Mm -hmm. um, it's three different newsreels that happened concurrently after the, the ship blew up. Yeah. And it's on US based. I don't know if this is anywhere else. Sorry people in europe but or, or around the world or anybody else but if you have a us vpn you can get to it yeah uh i have the whole thing and where i found it on the website it's called the hindenburg crash and it's dated 1937 yes it is <laughs> it's 11 minutes long and it's literally newsreel from maybe a week or two after it happened mm -hmm. maybe a year if that so but Cool. It, it was pretty interesting and helped a lot with the visualization because you actually see them dumping the ballast yeah. when they come in. And the news people weren't looking at the blimp when it was docking. Right. And then it exploded and they were like, what? And they look up and it's a fire. Yeah. Fire. Some, Big uh, fireball. That's some killed cameraman material right there. <laughs> yeah. So, 
I mean, it was crazy. I was like, I can't believe that they were able to catch that in 1937. Holy crap. Yeah. Obviously, in this day and age, like, there would be so much video footage of something like this happening. It would You would know everything from that video footage. Yes. But back then, they were talking about there was basically four. They know of four news cameras and one personal camera that were filming at the site, but not one of them caught the, the, actual, initial, the initial fire. Fire. Only what happened immediately after the initial fire. So, like, literally within seconds after that. And they don't know if there's any other footage out there. They don't know if there was another, like, privately owned camera that maybe somebody used to film it. They don't know. Like, it's not there. If it is, if it exists, nobody's found it. There were a lot of photographers, so there's lots of pictures, but none of that matters either because it doesn't tell the story they want. Well, I just, uh, another thing that I just realized, and it's, we were just kind of talking about what may have caused it a bit ago, I know, but Mm -hmm. I know that. Supposedly one of the theories about the Titanic, and I don't think this is true, but I remember that supposedly some people had thought that there was, like, sabotage by, like, I think it was a U-boat or something, if Mm -hmm. I remember correctly. So I'm, you know, that, I just, random brain thought that, you know, another reason why that accusation of sabotage might have come up. Sabotage was always a thought. Like, fingers being pointed back at fingers always you think about the high tension between i mean germany and other countries at the time were ramping up tensions for sure and especially because this is you know this is such an incident that it's like it's not exactly the same as that as the titanic because you know obviously there were there were poorer folks on the titanic there were middle class there were Mm -hmm. rich people and there were really rich people on titanic right here it was just mostly rich people and like you said military people essentially yeah this was a very different thing and i mean nowhere near the numbers of the titanic perished in this but it was still like because it was such a news spectacle that this thing existed and flew to the u.s and was there and it had just been seen flying over manhattan by literally thousands of people it was made to be it was crazy it was made to be a really big deal i mean this was the biggest thing happening in the world that day it's funny because the news reels like this is the biggest crash in aviation history and i was like at the time probably (laughs) yeah it was yeah i mean just wait yeah Yeah, yeah. until the war boy boy, things changed yeah as a matter of fact uh there was there were so many firsts in this it was so interesting because like not only was this a massive public disaster you know tragedy and disaster um, within aviation, and this being a one of the first airlines, quote unquote, on the planet. This was also this also had the first official flight attendant mm-hmm. on the planet. Yes. What? Yeah. yeah. He was considered a flight attendant. He was the person. He was a stewardess. Yeah, he's a stewardess in charge or steward. A steward. A steward in charge of the airship, and he was considered the first flight attendant on the planet. He could be a steward if it's, if he wanted to. Yeah, but it was German, so. Yeah, um, Nazi Germany. Probably not. Not huge into so that kind he of thing. Couldn't if he wanted to. <laughs> Maybe 15, 20 years earlier. Probable. Yeah. Yeah. We should have a conversation about uh, being queer in Germany in the post episode. <laughs> oh boy. Oof. Because that was a rough thing. Yeah. I also want to talk about Frankfurt Airport. So those things will be on the post episode. Um. Also. Thanks to Clark for recommending this episode. Oh, whoops. I don't think we thanked him. Yeah, but thank you. 
So we did hope- everything out of order, so I'm hope yes. uh, maybe I can move that to beginning the beginning of the episode. I hope, but uh, we'll yes, see. Uh, was also like not only recommended this but sent us the materials to use for this. Obviously, yes. Wikipedia was like a thing that we just used arbitrarily. I, I used some other stuff on top of that too. Yeah, uh, I, just to make sure I had it was like making sure the sources agreed with each other. Right, you know, I, I went through the links. That he had, and most of the information that I pulled from the Wikipedia page, which is most of what I did for my story, is also in those articles. Yeah. Like I, there, there was hardly anything else that I gleaned from those other articles that wasn't on the Wikipedia page other I, uh, other than the the names of the first officer and the second officer was like one of the only things I got yeah. well, I imagine from those links. Some other information that may be out there might be considered a bit of hearsay. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is articles or just, you know, published clickbait. But it's, it's, it's interesting because the Philadelphia Inquirer yeah. has a paywall Yes, to get to a whole thing that they did in 2005. They did like a whole research study yeah. and they published an article on it and I can't get to it because it's behind a paywall. You, you, you could have expensed that. I don't know the number for the card. You could have called me. There was way more than enough information out there. It was fine, but I was like, really, Philadelphia Inquirer? Really? But Really? They got to make their money. Smithsonian Magazine had an old article about it. Yes, I used um, that. Which was a pretty good one. Um, Britannica. Yes, Britannica has a whole... I have it on my notes. Hold on. Article Um, on it. Can you imagine if we had to do all the research for our podcast from Britannica Encyclopedias? Oof. The Air and Space no. Museum also had an article on it, Yes, which I used. I also used the Airship Wikipedia, the Hindenburg Disaster Wikipedia. Right. There's an independent article from the Independent about the mystery solved after 76 years. Right. Even though it wasn't. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, and then a Science Smithsonian Magazine article. Um, yep. About what happened, so. There's a lot. There's a lot of, and we'll have a lot of links in the. Oh, so many. All the links. So many links. <laughs> on the page for this one. All the links. For all the it's sources. funny. For, for something that doesn't have an official report, this might be one of the most documented. Because it was such a big deal. Yeah. And and it was like people saw it and it was right. tele like it was able to be televised like that was like the thing. It was right? one of the well, it was one of the that was one of the things is this was one of the first major tragedies caught on camera. Yes, and viewed by the world. Yeah, what would be considered basically instantaneously by the next day, like there was footage being shown in theaters and on radio broadcasts and everything. This was one of the first true big tragedies viewed by the world. And so it set a weird precedent. But also to this day, I would argue it is one of the most dramatic yes. pieces of footage ever captured. There are crazy things that have been caught on camera because we have so many of them these days and there's more than ever. But I still argue that this is one of the most dramatic, which is why people are still so fascinated with it. And there's still so much fact finding yep. that people are doing on this. Yep. Okay. Well, All right, people. All right. That was the Hindenburg. <laughs> yeah, it was. The Hindenburg. The Hindenburg. Oh, the humanity. Oh, oh the, the humanity. humanity. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks. Also, spontaneously. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We, thank you. We do appreciate other insights. Yes. It was a good conversation. You yeah. guys definitely spoke a lot more than I did. I didn't have much. <laughs> You already know about it. Yeah, I also hyper fixated. On yeah, you were things. doing googly searches all the time. 
And you were showing us stuff, and yes. honestly, I was just thinking about Big Balloon Go Boom. Big Balloon Go Boom. In my head the whole time. Yeah. Yes. In the post episode, we can watch the. There's, a, of course, a video of this, the yes. footage. We can put it up on the YouTube. But I, I also want to cover the two topics. Yes. Of course. That too. We'll have time. Yes. We'll be fine. Do all the stuff. Yep. Give us your money. <laughs> uh, or don't. It's up to you. It's fine. You um, do not have to. No. But it, you could. Your listenership means the world to me. <laughs> I yes. never said it didn't mean the world to me. <laughs> it's a joke, people. It's a joke. What's it's that, a joke. Uh, what's that PBS thing that they say? Like, uh, your donations help us. Oh, thank you to viewers like you. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, for the Public Broadcast Network. Oh, good Lord. Okay. Station. Excuse Station. me. PBS. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. If you want to check out our whole thing of stuffs in the post episode, you need to check out Patreon. Figure out how to get that information. Yeah. Um. Again, Still soliciting, actually, because nobody's actually given me any feedback on this, but should we do a $1 tier with access to something? I don't know what that be. Just yeah. ad-free or something. But so many different Patreon creators have shifted to having a $1 tier. Us being at 2 actually puts us higher than most, which is strange, but like... That's why I'm kind of like, I don't know, do we shift things around a little bit? Would it be, would it encourage some of you to like join? Is that... Would you rather have a one dollar tier? I feel like do? all our good stuff starts at the five dollar tier, though. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. yeah, but maybe we can do a little bit of thought, search, and shifting of things. Well, we if can... you guys are interested in that, let us know. We can figure it out. It's just a thought, and we've gotten no feedback since I asked for it like five episodes ago. I know. <laughs> also, uh, recommendations. I appreciate you. Please don't get mad at me when I don't get back to you right away. No, it, um, sometimes it's going to take us a little bit of time to get back, especially because there are a lot of them. This is nothing new. Uh, Gabriel, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> we appreciate it. Also, JJ, calm down. I, he, he literally was like, are you guys alive? I'm like, dude, We're I alive. have a full-time job. <laughs> Give me a break. Yeah. We'll get <laughs> I'm to doing this. my best. I promise we'll get to it when we can. We have we've had so many come in, even in the past few days. I'm like, people, calm down. We're rapidly. It's because people are on on vacation or on holiday. I know the and amount. They're of, like, I have here. And they're listening to us a lot and now giving us a lot of recommendations, like, which I can appreciate. Thank you. Absolutely, but I appreciate it. But the, also, please don't get mad at me when it takes me like a month and a half to get your information. <laughs> Jesus Christ! But the problem. If I'm the only one doing it, that's not what it takes. So the thing is, is like. They're not entirely on our schedule. We have a lot on our schedule already. And with the amount that we have coming in, we are rapidly approaching two years worth of recommendations, which is wild to me because we went from being below two years or below a year to now about two years worth of recommendations. Oh, my God. Which means we have to do this for at least two more years. (laughs) We have at least a year and six months. Yeah, which is just wild to me. It's just wild. So I appreciate you. Thank you for sending them in. Don't get mad at me when I don't get back to you right away. It's okay, everything people? In time. Everything I'm doing in time. my best. I promise we're going to get to them all. I'm editing. I'm doing stuff for the website. I'm doing the newsletter. Give me a break. <laughs> also, Nick and I are planning a wedding. Yes. We need... We need recommendations, but we also need more listeners. Please share this. Please yes. share everywhere. Please share your love for us everywhere. And when we do one of your recommendations, share it. <laughs> share it around the internet. Let's these see guys, what we can the, do. These guys over here across the table have. Yes. James' mom listens now. Yes, absolutely she does. 
One of my biggest goals, I think, for the next year as like a personal goal is I really want to try to be more active in recruiting listenership. What that means is I don't know what, but I'm going to find a way. Okay. Because we've had steady growth kind of the whole time, but actually for the last like month, it dipped a little. Yeah. Which is kind of strange. It's actually pretty normal. It is. It'll go back up again. Oh, of course it will. But by the same token, like... I wish, had, our, I wish our stock market market looked like our listenership. I know, right? Dang. <laughs> <laughs> People in the stock market wish that it looked like our listenership. But while we've had this steady increase, I would like to see a pretty solid one. Because we have all these recommendations. We have so many episodes. I really want the world to hear them more. That's all. Well, I just need to drive Lyft more because what is it? Like one out of every <laughs> 10 rides, yeah. I get somebody to look it up. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. Anyway. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks. We hope you have a safe and healthy week and a happy new year. Happy new year. Happy new year. And we'll catch you guys next time. Keep your speed up. Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hard Landings Podcast and on Twitter at Hard Landings Pod. Subscribe and leave a five-star review on the platform you are using to listen. If you would like to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at hardlandingspodcast.com where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions. This episode was researched and written by Nick and Christy. Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us plus Leo. And our logo is by Naomi. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.